grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. Good morning. It feels like we're in First Presbyterian Church in Miami or Fort Lauderdale or someplace where it's really, really humid. But here we are in Rancho Santa Fe. Whether you're here in Rancho Santa Fe in the sanctuary at the Village Church or perhaps worshiping with us online, all are welcome into this place that represents part of the family of God. We have come to worship the Lord, and so let's focus our hearts, our minds, our very souls on God and God alone, and let us be called to worship, reading responsibly then from the 33rd Psalm. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. Happy is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The scriptures remind us of the long arm of God's grace, and we are reminded that even in our shadows and even in our brokenness, we are the sheep of God's pastor. So come willingly, come with hope, and come with comfort to a time of confession. Let's confess together. Merciful God, 
We confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength, nor have we loved others as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us amend what we are and direct what we shall be, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your holy name, in Christ we pray. Amen. Hear us, O God, as we lift up our personal prayers of confession to you in this sacred silence. Amen. The Good Shepherd loves you and rejoices that you have been found. And so in the name of Jesus Christ, I declare to you, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. of Christ be with you. As we prepare to greet one another, we'd like to remind our fifth grade and younger that your Sunday school leader will meet you in the back. And if you're looking for a youth group, it's meeting right now. So let's turn and greet one another with a good morning and God bless. Friends, we're all aware that we're here to worship God, and this is an important thing that we do, of course, central to the life of Christian discipleship and faith. But there's a lot that goes on in Christian life that's outside of the worship context, and so we'll spend just a moment thinking about some of the opportunities and privileges that we have in being involved in further ministry and life with the Lord. I'll mention today that is the beginning of our Homeless Veterans Initiative. It has now become part of our tradition and custom in this September time frame to focus on the partnership and ministry that we enjoy and share with many other congregations and institutions and agencies as we seek to bring homeless veterans off the streets, provide them with a place to live, provide them with all the things necessary to furnish that place like uh, beds and uh, furniture and a 
appliances and such, and in that way help them get their feet under them and keep going on with life. So let me encourage you to stop at the table that's outside on the patio today to learn about how you might help in this continuing uh, ministry. Being that we're now in the second third of the month of September, can you believe it? All of our regular Bible studies and other activities are beginning today. As we speak, our Sunday morning Bible study group is meeting over in room B of the Fellowship Center. They're looking at the book of the Acts of the Apostles as well as prophecies in the Scriptures. If you'd like to be part of that study, you're very welcome to show up at 9 o'clock for worship and then go to Sunday school at 10.30. That's the way I grew up, by the way. Monday evening, starting tomorrow night, we will have a, a group that will meet both on campus and then also virtually, and they're going to be walking through the Bible in a year. If you'd like to be part of that experience, go online uh, or talk with one of the pastors, and we'll direct you to the leaders of that group. Then on Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock in the Laguna Room at La Costa Glen, we'll be back with our La Costa Glen Bible study. That group will be looking at the book of Exodus. And continuing also in Exodus will be our Wednesday morning, not Thursday anymore, but Wednesday morning men's group at the Loma Santa Fe Country Club at 6.30. And then at 9 o'clock here at the church, our Wednesday morning women's group, all looking at Exodus. This coming Friday the 15th, we have a family movie night coming up. Great opportunity for everybody in the family, regardless of your age, to come and watch a movie and enjoy fellowship in the larger life of the church. We are doing something that we thought we'd be doing about 13 years ago, and now we're getting around to it. We just haven't been able to find around to it ever since then. But as many of you know, uh, 13 years ago when we moved into the sanctuary, we did not have enough Bibles and we did not have enough hymnals to populate the pews, but we think that now it's time to put hymnals and Bibles back into the pews. And so, we would invite you to stop at the table out on the patio and take a look at this new hymnal that has all of the good old favorites. It's got some of the good new favorites. It's got hymns that are written in Spanish and Korean and other languages. But on Sunday, October 1st, not long from now, we will be placing these hymnals in the pews. And then on the last Sunday of October, we will be placing brand new Bibles in the pews. And so this is going to mean, actually, for all of you, consider this fair warning. When you show up for worship on the 1st and then on the 29th, we're going to ask you to pick up a book and turn to a page number in order to sing the hymns. They won't be in the bulletin anymore. And when it comes time to read the scripture, we're going to ask you to look up a passage in the Bible. We will practice this for those of you who are out of practice, okay? But I just give you fair warning now. So if you would like to participate in this project and honor someone that you love, maybe remember someone that you love, or maybe simply give glory to God, if you'd like to participate by dedicating one or a hundred of these different books, stop at the table that's just outside the doorway of the sanctuary, or go online and use the little UPC code, and you can participate in that.
Want to mention as well that immediately following this service, we'll be having our legacy seminar to talk particularly about financial legacy and what you leave to your family, to your friends, to those institutions that are important to you, as well as perhaps the church. We have about 25 folks registered for that, but we do have a few extra seats. And so if you've been planning to come but did not register, go ahead and come anyway. If you were not planning to come but want to come now, go ahead and come anyway. And we'll do the loaves and fishes thing and everything will be good. So that will be immediately following this service. Those are some of the ways that God is at work in the life of our church and that you can participate. Be sure to pay attention to all the emails and other forms of communication about what happens in the church because we don't want you to miss out. It's vitally important that we understand that part of what we're doing here is not just hearing announcements. We are actually presenting ourselves to God, saying to God, we want to hear from you, learn from you, be inspired by you, to do your work. And one of the ways we respond is by giving our tithes and offerings. So the ushers will come forward now and wait upon us to receive our offering as we're enjoying this next beautiful piece of music. God bless.
Please be seated. What a privilege it is that God invites us to be still, to let go of all that surrounds and creates chaos in our mind and heart, and to come and abide with God in God's presence in prayer. Let's go to God in prayer. God of every generation, it's you who bends close to the child and delights in the babbling noises of the sweet new soul. You who surrounds us all the days of our lives, leading and guiding and teaching, loving and surrounding us with every good gift. You who have laid out for us a legacy of eternal hope, fierce service and unbridled joy, we give you our humble praise. We thank you, O oh God, for the stories of your people across the ages, because those stories, Lord, inspire us and they remind us that we're not alone, but we belong to a great cloud of witnesses. They remind us of our humanity. But the deeper layer, the place that you take us, that we receive the word is how they reveal your love your generous and abundant nature, emancipated from time and space, your divine love that is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And I, we can't tell you what comfort that is, Lord, what delight that in a world that often feels like shifting sand, with events that come and go like silver tendrilled wisps of smoke, when we are without mooring or foundation, all of that, we rest on solid rock in you. We are in the strong embrace of a mother's love as you cradle and protect. We are tethered by your will and purpose for now and for always. So, Holy One, teach us to make a mark of faith in the world that cannot be erased. With your sukkah, we will share your sacred story and the shaping hands of holiness with our children and with our grandchildren and throughout the generations. Supply us, Holy Spirit, with the wisdom and the vision to comply with your command, to keep your holy commandments, to recite them to our children and talk about them when we are at home and when we are away, when we lie down and when we rise, to bind them as a sign on our hands and fix them as an emblem on our forehead and write them on the doorposts of our house and on our gates. We know, Lord, that you are the river that streams hope into the hearts of the people. So just for this morning, excuse us, please, while we wash in the deep and play in the crisp refreshment. With your help, Restored and renewed, we will climb onto the banks and shake ourselves dry and continue to seek a thirsty world. You have placed in our view people waiting to hear what can be done. And we ask ourselves sometimes how the weight of suffering can be eased. For so many, when we who have inherited every reason to hope feel despair and afraid. So we ask God, let us shed the skin that keeps us crawling and take flight into the highest places of your will. Let us climb and climb and climb 
to have a clear picture of the needs of the whole world, to be mindful of the full picture, and to land in places where you have heard the cry of your people, and you have asked, whom shall I send? And we have lifted up our voices and sang out together, here I am, send me. And in our going, Lord, let us make a mark for you that can never be erased. We ask all of these things in the strong and lasting name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Here is a reading of selections from the book of 1 Kings. Thus, all the work that King Solomon did on the house of the Lord was finished. Solomon brought in the things that his father David had dedicated, the silver, the gold, and the vessels, and stored them in the treasures of the house of the Lord. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the ancestral houses of the Israelites, before King Solomon in Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. All the people of Israel assembled to King Solomon at the festival in the month of Ethanim, which is the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came, and the priest carried the ark. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands to heaven. He said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and steadfast love for your servants who walk before you with all their heart. The covenant that you kept for your servant, my father David, as you declared to him, you promised with your mouth and have this day fulfilled with your hand. Let your eyes be open to the plea of your servant and to the plea of your people Israel. Listen to them whenever they call to you, for you have separated them from among all the peoples of the earth to be your heritage, just as you promised through Moses, your servant, when you brought our ancestors out of Egypt. O oh Lord God, the word of the Lord. About 10 days ago, on September 1st, two people died. They were people of whom I knew actually quite a lot, but I'd never had the privilege of meeting them. They were only about 11 months apart in age. One was born at the very end of 1946 and the other later on in 1947. Their deaths were both noted in the, uh, the national press, and I paid particular attention to them for several reasons. One of those who died was named Bill Richardson. How many of you recognize the name Bill Richardson? Okay, you guys are a little more informed than the nine o'clock crowd. <laughs> Don't tell them I said that. <laughs> Bill Richardson at one time was governor of the great state of New Mexico, the state of my birth, and that's probably the reason I'd paid some attention to him. Later on, he became Secretary of Energy and then U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations. All of that was not all that remarkable necessarily. As with so many folks in his positions, there were some controversies in his career over corruption and political dealings, that sort of thing. But 
What caught my attention about Bill Richardson quite a few years ago now is that as he tended to retire from public service, he often was called back in order to go visit with the heads of state of other nations in order to try to negotiate the release of Americans who were being held, from our perspective, unjustly in those nations. He became something of an emissary or an ambassador to nations that our nation is not on particularly good terms with usually and try to seek the release of other folks. And he actually did that uh, quite successfully many, many times. And so in that sense, I think he has a, a very worthy legacy. So that's Bill Richardson. Now you know who Bill Richardson was. The other person who died on September 1st was a guy named James William Buffett. How many of you know about Jimmy Buffett? There we go. There we go. Singer, of course, songwriter. I've read a little bit about his career and I've learned a couple of interesting things. The style of music that Jimmy Buffett sang is now called tropical rock. Okay, that's pretty cool, tropical rock. And the lifestyle that his music tended to embody is called island escapism. <laughs> island escapism, right? And you know, whether you want to or not, <laughs> you know some of, the, some of the names, some of the lyrics, and some of the tunes that Jimmy Buffett was famous for. Margaritaville, of course. Come Monday. It's five o'clock somewhere. Did you all know you were quoting a song when you'd say it's five o'clock somewhere? And then, of course, the famous cheeseburger in paradise. <laughs> now, as I was writing this piece of this message, I realized that I was taking a risk saying all these things about Jimmy Buffett, because Dick, what I presume is happening now is that almost everyone in the sanctuary has gone on a mental vacation, <laughs> and they're not here anymore, <laughs> right? I was also tempted, as sometimes I am, to, you know, have us sing a couple of those tunes, but I, I, can't, I can't quite, you know, sanitize them enough or bless them enough or something, even though for many of us the music is a religious experience. Well, whatever. <laughs> Jimmy Buffett's music, of course, is, is a great legacy and we celebrate that. But I have a question for us. Which one of those two men, Bill Richardson or Jimmy Buffett, actually changed lives and served his fellow human beings? We can't answer that question. But it's an interesting question to talk about. One spent his life, in some sense, in public service that ended up with taking some dangerous trips to try to release prisoners. The other, of course, giving us great music that, that fills our souls. Which one of those two left a greater legacy behind? We won't answer that, but we will think a little bit more about a question it's uppermost in my mind today about the legacy that we leave. Once the final date of our lives is written, 
for all of us here, the good news is it was not September 1st, 2023. Once that date's written, what will be said about us? What will we have left behind? And so to help us think about that a little bit, we're going to move into the snippets of the story that Dee read for us a few moments ago from the ancient book of the Kings. Now, I want us to come away from that desert island paradise <laughs> where that frosty concoction is in our hands. <laughs> and let's go instead to ancient Israel, to about the year 957 before Jesus. And let's go to Jerusalem where King Solomon of Israel, the king of the Jews, the son of the great King David is preparing to preside over the dedication of the temple that he's just built. The temple that Solomon built would leave a legacy. It itself would become a legacy that would last for about 400 years until it was destroyed by the Babylonians. It would be rebuilt, destroyed again, rebuilt, destroyed again, finally by the Romans. But that event of the construction and the dedication of the temple, an event that happened about 3,000 years ago, has some things to teach us. Number one, let's look at Solomon himself. Everything I'm going to say is in those few words of Scripture. So you might want to take this home or look up that passage again and, and look at these words again. But, but when you look at the, the story, you note that the first thing that, that happened was that Solomon had actually done some work. That doesn't seem very remarkable to us, but, but think about Solomon. Solomon, as David's son, had inherited a strong, peaceful powerful, wealthy kingdom. Solomon actually did not have to do much of anything. You could say that, that Solomon was one of the original trust fund babies. <laughs> right? He had inherited something that his father, David, had worked so hard to create the federation of 12 tribes, the establishment of Jerusalem as the undisputed capital of those 12 tribes. Solomon could have sat back and lived off the legacy of his father and of the generations before him, but he didn't do that. Solomon did some work. Now, this is not the kind of work that sometimes we talk about when we say, you know, I, I redid my garden the other day, or I remodeled the house. What do most of us mean when we say we did something like that? It means we found somebody else that we could pay to do that. Doesn't it? That's what it means, okay? And of course, Solomon had lots of people, but, but Solomon himself made it happen. Solomon himself used his energies, his talents, his ambitions, his dreams to do something for the sake of the kingdom. And every generation is called to do that. Every generation inherits 
the legacy of those who have come before, good, bad, or indifferent. Every generation is called to move forward, to contribute, to make things a little bit better. And that's exactly what Solomon was doing. Now, we have to note as well that Solomon built upon what his daddy had done. I've already mentioned King David was considered the greatest king of Israel for political reasons, for military reasons, for economic reasons. And Solomon took all of that and did something with it. He did not erase the past. He did not reject the past. Instead, he embraced it and he took the lessons, the wisdom, the accomplishments of the past and he added his own chapter to the story. Now, I'm sure that when Solomon was a teenager, especially, that he would have a lot of fights with his dad and say, you're doing it all wrong, and when I grow up, I'm going to do it right. I'm sure that as a teenager, he looked at everything that was going on in David's life and the life of Israel and said, this is all wrong. That's natural. But eventually Solomon embraced it and Solomon used it and Solomon moved it forward. I'm not suggesting that we should take everything from the past and simply adopt it wholesale without thought, without evaluation, but we should take the past and then use that to inform what the future needs to be. And that's what Solomon did as he built the temple. Now, Solomon also enlisted other people to help him in this process. We read that, that Solomon gathered the leaders of the ancestral houses of Israel. You'll remember that God had come to Abraham and said to Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And then God was with Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and, uh, and all the others that came along to create this huge family. God was with the family of Joseph and the, the 11 brothers as they survived in Egypt for hundreds of years. God was with Moses as the people left Egypt and wandered in the wilderness and then came in to the Holy Land. It is that family, it is those people with that by now already long heritage and history whom Solomon comes to and says, you come and let's together dedicate this temple. Solomon brought the priests, he brought the elders, he brought all the people as a sign that what was happening was not just about Solomon. It was about all the people. It was about the community. It was about the fact that it takes everyone together to make something happen in its own generation. Solomon did not personally build the temple. Solomon and all the rest built the temple, the community, and then Solomon began to celebrate and Solomon began to recognize that what he was doing was really not about him. What he was celebrating and lifting up was not even necessarily about the nation of Israel. What Solomon was doing was about what God was doing. And that's the most important part of the story. If people ever ask you what the Bible is all about, 
In a sense, the correct answer is the Bible is about God. (laughs) And then it's about us. The Bible starts with God, doesn't it? It doesn't start with us. The Bible starts with God before us was us. (laughs) God made everything. And then the story unfolds from there. Even Solomon, wealthy, powerful Solomon, was not the point of the story. No single human story is the only story to pay attention to. No single human accomplishment is as important as what God has has accomplished. Even all human stories put together, the history of all humanity is still contained within boundaries. The boundaries of God who was before, God who is after. The human story is contained within the divine story. And so all that Solomon did, all that the generations before him had done, all that the generations after him would do was really about what God was doing. We see ample evidence of that in what Solomon actually talks about during this dedication of the temple. Now, as I mentioned, about 13 and a half years ago, we dedicated this facility. Remember that, Don? We dedicated this facility, and in part of that process, we talked about all the people who had contributed financially, all the people who actually worked and built this place, all the plans and dreams and hopes. We talked about all the architecture and everything else that went into it. But that's not what Solomon talked about. Solomon starts by saying, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath. Here Solomon is standing in this magnificently impressive structure, and he doesn't want to talk about the structure. He wants to talk about God, because it's all about God. And what does he say about God? He says, God, you have been keeping your covenant. You have been expressing your steadfast love, for you promised with your mouth and have this day fulfilled with your hand. You see, God had made plans for the nation of Israel. God had made promises to the nation of Israel. God fulfilled his plan. God kept his promises. And the existence of the temple now was evidence of that fact. Solomon goes on. He says, let your eyes be open to the plea of your servant and to the plea of your people Israel, listening to them whenever they call to you. Why did Solomon spend so much of the treasury of Israel to build the temple? Was it about having a cool place to worship God? (laughs) No. Was it about providing jobs for people? No. The reason for the temple being built was so that the people could continue and enhance and develop their relationship with God. In fact, that was the purpose of the entire plan and the entire history that God had set up. 
God made everything. God made all people. God called a special people to bless them and be with them and through them to teach all the other people on the face of the planet about living with love, with joy, with hope, with peace, with faith, with patience, with beauty, with creativity, with righteousness, with justice, with all of those things that God means for us to have. And it all happens because of our relationship with God. The temple was merely a place where the people would come before God to remember God and to invite God to speak to them and where ostensibly they would listen. That was part of God's plan. And then Solomon says, you have separated them from among all the peoples of the earth to be your heritage. Everyone in this room has a heritage of some kind. We were talking about a heritage just a few days ago, weren't we? Now, your heritage might simply be the stories of your family. Your heritage might be represented in physical objects like the family Bible or the crown that your mother used to wear or the bread bowl that your great-grandmother used or in my case, the rolling pin that my grandmother used to roll out the tortillas. Our heritage is represented in many, many different ways. Our inheritance, if you will. But here we're talking about God's heritage. God's heritage is not a building. It's not the temple. God's heritage is not an institution. God's heritage is not a set of rules and regulations and rituals. God's heritage is us, people, a people with a unique identity, a unique understanding of who we are, and a unique calling to live in a particular way. God's heritage is expressed in the way that we live and the truth that we believe and the truth to which we point and in the lives that we manifest. God's heritage is there every time people are living with faith and hope and righteousness and justice and love. In that sense, we are a living legacy of God. The only question that we have left to ask is, how do we do that? How do we live out that role, that assignment, that job description that God has given us to be his legacy? Where do we go with it? Of course, it begins by believing God, <laughs> believing that there is a God, believing that this God has spoken to us, Believing that God's promises are real and trustworthy and true. Believing that what God said about the way we are meant to do life is the way. Because it is the truth. And therefore it is the life. We live as the legacy of God as we live in community with each other as we welcome anyone to join this community with us. 
We live as God's legacy as we give ourselves to God's purposes in the world, not just for ourselves, but for everyone. And yes, it's true that part of that living out the legacy that we have is a financial legacy. One of the reasons that Solomon inherited so much wealth from the kingdom is because King David, when he came to power and established Jerusalem as the capital, King David built a magnificent palace for himself first. And then the way the story reads, then sort of as an afterthought, David said, maybe I better build a house for God too. (laughs) And God said, you know, David, there's lots of reasons, but it's not going to be your job to build the temple. It's going to be Solomon's job. And so Solomon was given that glory in some sense of being known as the builder of the temple. Solomon took the spiritual resources that were given to him. Solomon took the historical resources, the community resources, the family resources. Yes, Solomon took the financial resources and dedicated them to building the community and building on the legacy that belonged not to him, but belonged to God. And that's what we're doing. It struck me really hard this morning as I was up early reading this passage again. It struck me really hard that that Solomon and all those people gathered are related to us. We're part of that tradition. You know, it's very easy for me to mentally take myself to that desert island where there's a nice little tiki bar with some cold margaritas and some chips and guacamole. I can go there very easily, but where we need to go is to that place on the Temple Mount as the temple is being dedicated and listen to Solomon and see all the priests and the leaders and the families and even the children gathered together. We need to go to that place and to that event. And remember, that's us. That's our family. This is part of our family story for all of us. And we need to remember that that is our legacy, our heritage. And then that we are called to take that and do something with it now for the sake of others. I don't remember when I first saw the bumper sticker. I think it's been at least 30 years ago as I was driving on a two-lane road behind one of those big, huge RVs, right? those big, huge motor homes that go about four miles an hour. (laughs) And all you have to do is read the bumper stickers that are on the back. And the bumper sticker that you always saw on the back of those big, honking, expensive machines read like this. You know what it reads. We are out spending our children's inheritance. (laughs) We have an inheritance that was given to us, and we have a choice about what we do with that inheritance. Lately, as I've had the absolutely delicious pleasure of playing with my grandchildren, I've thought about them, and then I've thought about whether or not I will still be here when they have children. Will I get to see and know my great-grandchildren? Perhaps. 
It's almost certain that I will not get to meet what I hope will be my great-grandchildren or their children. That doesn't mean that I don't love them, though. It doesn't mean that I don't want to love them in tangible and real ways. You see, I think about everything that's been given to me by generations of family, both biological, physical, literal family, and especially the family of the church. And I now think about the generations that will come after me whom I will never meet, but whom I want to love. Generations who I want to know Jesus Christ. When Paul was writing to the church in Corinth about the heart of the gospel message, he started by saying to them in 1 Corinthians 15, I handed on to you what I myself received, that Christ died, was buried, was raised, and then appeared to others. I am passing on to you what I myself received from someone else. That's the way God accomplishes his plan and builds his people who is us and leaves his legacy. And so I want to be responsible. I want to be successful, as do you in building on the legacy and inheritance of the past and building an even larger legacy and inheritance for the future. That's a spiritual inheritance. So that one day, not just my great, 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 great grandchildren, but everyone's will know the love of God and live by it. The world needs that kind of inheritance. Amen. Friends, will you please stand for our affirmation of faith? And remember that these are words that for generations, those who have come before us have lifted up as an, as an affirmation of faith. And so we walk with them today and these become our legacy as well. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
how do you want to be known when you're no longer here? Maybe that's part of the question, isn't it? Most of us in this room, I'll go so far as to say all of us in this room are going to be forgotten within a few generations. Okay. But we are part of a legacy, part of a tradition, part of a history, part of a family. Something that belongs to God, and because it belongs to God, it's never going to go away. In fact, it still is growing. Regardless of whether our name is on an obituary somewhere or remembered for singing some memorable songs or doing some good things, don't we want to be remembered in the heart of God as one who passed on the tradition and knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ? That's what it's all about us, not us, but God, but God. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us today and always. Let God's people say together, amen. amen.